If you've got your Bibles, please uh, keep that open. But we're, we're really just going to look at the very first commandment. Did you have rules growing up, or maybe you are still growing up, and you've got those rules that you go, what are they there for? As a kid uh, growing up, there was a rule in our, uh, in our house that, um, well, we lived on a property, and we mustered on motorbikes, and you weren't allowed to ride a motorbike until you were in high school. I hated that rule. Hated it. All the way through my primary school years, I hated that rule. Now, just, just for the heck of it, turn to the person beside you and ask the person beside you, why do you think that rule would exist? Go. Don't ask Grandad, he'll know. Okay, Is that, would anybody be willing to actually tell me what they're thinking, other than anybody from my family? Safety. Safety, yep. That is partly right, yes. Yeah, like it might be being mature, although as I, at grade five I was very mature, I want to put it out there. <laughs> oh, well, I thought I was. Responsibility. Responsibility, yes, but again, I felt as a, a, as a high, primary schooler I was very responsible. Now, the reason that um, we couldn't do that is because you had to be old enough and strong enough to pick the motorbike up. Because when you rode away from the farmhouse into the mountains in Bunya Mountains, uh, you needed to be able to pick the motorbike up because you wouldn't get home. And when I got to the age that I actually could ride the motorbike and I fell off numbers of times, suddenly that rule made sense especially if you were on the side of the hill and it fell down the other way. You had to be super strong, and especially the time when I came off and the bike slid round and landed on my leg and the exhaust was on my leg, I thought to myself, just imagine if I didn't have enough strength to lift that bike up, I would have been sitting there for hours with a barbecue happening on my leg. Now, when we come to the Ten Commandments, we can view it like I, uh, I did as a primary school kid. You know, like, the reality is, for us as people, our sinful nature drives us to be thinking, I don't want to be told what to do. But when we think about the, and we, often when we think about the Ten Commandments, we often think we're getting the rough end of the stick. Like, this is difficult. Oh, what the heck? But... I'm hoping that as we go through these couple of commandments and think through the Ten Commandments, that our attitude might change here a little bit in this. Let's make some observations about the Ten Commandments just as we head in here. Three of them. One, have you thought about the Ten Commandments that they show us how much we need God to save us? The own, you only have to read the Ten Commandments through once and actually think about your own life to realise how far short you fall of that holy God and you're in trouble at that point and how desperately we need to act. There's no way out of that and drives, it should drive us towards Jesus. Like, okay, I've heard this done a number of times and it is true. If I was to think about just three of the commandments, one of them being, have I lied? Yes. Have you? Yes. And if you're saying no now, you're lying. Yes. Have you ever stolen anything? There is definitely a time I remember going to grandma's and sticking my hand in the lolly jar when she wasn't looking. I've definitely stole stuff. Have you? 
This isn't one of those moments you should all joyously jump in and say, yes, I have. <laughs> but you could be sitting there going, um, I've never murdered anyone, but... But the Bible even creams us there because it says in 1 John, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you, you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Have I hated my brother? You bet I have. And so I've got three of the commandments there, which actually leads me to I'm a lying, thieving murderer. And I haven't, I've still got the rest of them to go. So the commandments here show us if we actually meditate on what dirty, rotten sinners we are and how much we desperately need forgiveness, which should drive us to Jesus where that forgiveness is offered. The second thing I want us to see here as we head into the commandments as an observation is this. The commanders show us how we should live in response to being saved. Did you hear that? In response to being saved. Did you hear at the start of um, chapter 20, it goes like this. The, and God spoke all these words. You ready? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It doesn't start with, obey these commandments and then I will save you. He has already saved them. And so what we're seeing here is, no, we need to understand that God has saved us and this is how we need to respond in how we live to that. We, we're saved through what Christ has done on the cross, many of us here. And Christ has done that while we were still sinners. We didn't deserve to be saved, not at all. But then the question comes after that, how should we respond? Well, we don't like the answer to that, but the answer really is we need to obey. And the Ten Commandments show us, well, in fact, God's Word in general shows us, but the Ten Commandments are showing the Israelites at this point how to obey. They're saved. This is how you should live. The third thing I want us to see here is that God's way to live is always going to be the best way to live. Full stop. If everyone, just, just stop for a minute and think, if everybody in this whole world followed the Ten Commandments to a T, absolute T, could you imagine how amazing this world would be? Perfect relationship, perfect love, no tears, no that meanness that we say. It wouldn't exist. In fact, heck, it could be heaven. And so we need to stop viewing the Ten Commandments. Actually, let me finish that just by saying, we need to recognise too, God has made us and he knows us and he knows what's best for us. And so if you actually think that through logically, he's not going to make us. We rebel, him, then he sent, rebel from him and then he sent his son to die a painful cross. And you, some of you have heard me say this before. And then say to us, now let me make your life terrible by following these commandments. That's ridiculous. But that's how we often think, isn't it? See, God wants what's best for us. And we need to stop viewing the commandments as something that are negative and start realising how incredibly positive they are. They, they point us to our needs to be forgiven. Uh, that freedom that we find in the forgiveness of Christ, that we can go and live out our lives 
the way that God is showing us, the way that God has, God has intended us to live. That's why we see throughout God's word the, the law of God being held so high. Look, Psalm 1, let me read it to you. Here's an example. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night. Whoa. So what happens when he does that? He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not, not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. What happens if you don't do that? Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that is the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see, when we actually grab hold of God's word and we actually start meditating on it and start thinking about what it means to me that I live it out, we become like trees rooted down that when the wind of the world blows us around, we're firm. And when we don't, well, we've all felt this, we get blown around, tossed from side to side like chaff in the wind. Chaff, that's that stuff. Bit on the outside of the grain. So this really leads to a question for me as I'm thinking this through, is uh, when was the last time I meditated on the law of the Lord, David? When was the last time you did? See, the reality is we don't often because it's so, it feels so negative. Well, in the next couple of weeks, uh, that's what we're going to be doing here. We're just going to take some time out that you can go home after this and actually think this through. So we're going to stop right now and we're just going to have a look at Commandment 1. And you know what Commandment 1 is? You must have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. And to make, this is a really important commandment because to make all the other commandments make sense, we actually have to get this one right. It is, it's written in the negative here, but if we were to say it in the positive, it would say, God might say, uh, I am to be number one in your life, or put all of your trust in me, or only trust in me. You see, the first commandment is really saying that God needs to be absolutely numero, can't even say it, number one. You need to uh, put all your faith and all your trust in him. Now, as Christians, we go, yep, we understand that. Can you see why it's so important, bud? You see, God knows you. He knows how you're wired. He knows you and me better than you and me know each ourselves. And he knows what's best for us. Do you believe that? Do you actually believe that? Because... That would mean that we would be willing to hand all of our life over to him. Put our complete trust in our God and how he wants us to live. Completely. You see, if we don't make him number one in our lives, it's a very slippery slope on what we will trust him on and what we don't. Look, I could probably use a hundred examples in my own life, but I'm going to use a, a teenage girl that uh, 
was a friend of um, Jessica's that I had a conversation many years ago. She was coming to youth groups, she was coming to camps, and she loved Christian community. She was in a, a background that um, was a bit, it was definitely broken and had the love that she saw in Christians, she just never saw it anywhere else. And so she'd come on camp and she'd love being amongst them. And I had this conversation with her about becoming a Christian. And she, she felt like, yeah, I believe this is true. I can see you guys interacting that. And I said to her, what is stopping you from becoming a Christian? And she said, I just, I just can't give my whole life to him. I want to run my own life. You see, in Australia right now, there might be lots of gods and we might name them in a heap of different ways, but it really comes down to one in Australia, the big main God that we often fall into, and that is the God of self. Now, we'll look at idols next week, but, but self is the big God that I feel like is here in Australia right now. We only have to look at something like identity of who people are saying they are out there, that when I'm born, I might have a sex, but I'm going to decide who gender I am, what gender I am as I get older. I'm going to do that. We only have to look at the abortion thing that's going on and go, I, I, I might have got someone pregnant or someone that is pregnant and they go, I'm going to decide what I'm going to do with my body and I don't care about that because it's going to affect me. We make all these decisions, our career, our, what we do with our money, on selfishness. And then we even now are having a debate about, I'm going to choose when I die. Self, all the way through, I, I, I. And the problem with this is it, we can look at the world out there who, are, who aren't Christians, but we need to recognise that we can be just as bad here as Christians. That God, the God of self, is often put in number one spot more often than we care to admit. Like in a youth group ministry that I do across the state, the biggest uh, knocker-offer of um, Christian kids, teenage boys and girls, is the dating of non-Christians. Full stop. And although God's word's pretty clear about not getting married to someone who's not a Christian, uh, and you talk to those kids, but I, but I love them. And it's not very long that the slippery slope starts that they arrive at a point of going, well, okay, I, may, if I love him, and God will accept that I'll sleep with him, and down it goes. Uh, the second one, probably for all of us, is actually popularity. Social media is very good at this, isn't it? We want to be popular. We want to be liked. And often Christians will slip down a slippery slope because uh, Christianity is not popular. It's not popular. Uh, we might use our Christianity when it is popular, but we push it aside when it's not. We use our money. Strike. We think our money is our own, don't we? And say so we don't give to the church or give to people in need. We hold it to ourselves. Self, and there's a slippery slope then. Oh, God will understand because I'm doing it for me. Our career, we will shift places and go places without any thought about what we'll do ministry in it. And yet if we used our careers to actually shift to do ministry, we could do incredible things in our jobs. We lie, we lie to ourselves, we cheat sometimes. Look, there are people here, to not, not here tonight, because they have made a decision that they need a break and they haven't shown up. And next week that will be the same. And the same, what, what are we doing there? We're thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking about coming together and looking after each other at that point. See, we justify our bad behaviour often by 
uh, what we think is best, but we completely forget that God is, at that point, we're leaving God out as number one. And we have to be honest with ourselves. And this is what this commandment does when we meditate on it. It's scary, isn't it? It scares me. And it's a slippery slope. Look, uh, even, even in church, big church, as in denominations, it's easily seen. And I don't want to offend anybody, but it's real. In 1970, there was a decision made to bring... Uh, guys were trying to bring the churches of the Methodists and the Congregational and the Presbyterian churches together, and they formed the Uniting Church. There was a whole bunch of Presbyterian churches. The reason the Presbyterian Church exists in Queensland today is because of one little line that they, they didn't agree with. And the line was, uh, the Bible contains the Word of God. The Presbyterian guys that have stuck have gone... Actually, we need to change that to the Bible is the word of God. And the reality is how that's played out in history right now. A lot of uniting churches have gone down social justice and completely forgotten about the gospel. Now, you only have to go to South Australia or to Western Australia to see churches that are completely bankrupt with no people in them because the gospel's gone. And I'd like to say that the Presbyterian Church is much better, but in South Australia, the Presbyterians that stayed as Presbyterians there stayed because they were Presbyterian. There was no better outcome there either, I can tell you. We're starting to try and build that again. Can you see how slippery the slope can happen so quickly where something as simple as that contains the Word of God? Well, which bit do we take and which bit we don't? Is the Word of God. It's all God's Word. And if you're going to put... So if you're going to put God in the right position, number one in your life, <coughs> sorry, if you're not going to put um, God in the right position as number one in your life, you will always be making excuses for which bit you believe in and which bit you don't. Uh, and really God is saying, no, put me number one and I'll clearly explain it to you all the time. But when we put God first in the right position and trust him completely, there is no other way to say this, but you will be doing what you were built to do, what God made you to do, to worship him and to follow him and to be obedient to him. And you will it will be amazing. You see, you'd never get a Ferrari and... Um, uh, you know, a Ferrari is for cruising down the road, engine roaring, wind in your hair. Police shouldn't be chasing you, but you know what I'm talking about. You would never get a Ferrari and go, oh, heck, I don't like that engine, rip it out. Oh, that wheel's a bit ugly, take that off. And, oh, let's put a backhoe bucket on the back of it. Because <laughs> that's what we do when we don't follow God. We take what is absolutely amazing and we try to, th we think we're making it better. And uh, guess what? We shouldn't be surprised that when we don't follow God and have him as number one in our life, we get, life gets bogged down. We must realise that God is who God is because he's God. He has saved us and he deserves to be number one in our life. So let's put him there. Look, there was a singer a while ago, some of you might know him, Guy Sebastian. He... Um, he was on Australian Idol. Uh, did he win or come second? He came second. They are always the ones that you know come second. Now, at the time, 
uh, Guy Sebastian was known as an evangelical, devout Christian um, and probably the most well-known virgin in the world. <gasps> he hadn't slept with anybody. I heard an interview, actually I read an interview a little while ago from Guy and he's become very popular and when you, you see interviews with Guy, he loves his family, he's doing good things, uh, getting on with his life and he's built a good career out of hard work in the music industry. But I heard, uh, read this interview that he, he did and it was talking about his, uh, where he was with God. The, the singer, at this time he was 30, he says he believes in God, this is quoting, but uh, he is more informed about his religion than he was in his youth. That sounds great, doesn't it? He says, my views are more based on life and discovery and research than just what I'm told. Now, I just want to point out there, there's no mention of God's word there. He says, because what I was told in regard to so many things was so wrong, I've, I've gone from a place where I was being told there is one way and only one way to being more than one place where I don't think anyone has the right to say that they believe uh, what they believe is more important or more significant. Now, as Christians, we'd sit there and go, oh my goodness, and I want to go and battle. But at one level, I can understand if you guys walk away and go, what the heck would Dave know? There's an old farm boy who just happens to step up here to preach. The problem with that statement is it's not Dave or anybody else here saying that, it's God. Verse 20, and God spoke these words. It's not just nobody, it's the dude who created everything. He's the guy who made us. And so to suggest that we've discovered something better, you've just lied to yourself. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Can I pray for us? Oh, Lord, it's just one sentence. But if we were honest with ourselves, we let you down over and over and over again on this one. Our anxiety kicks in. We worry about things we don't need to. We rush off in directions that we think we need because you're not doing a good enough job, Lord. Please forgive us. Help us to recognise that you are a righteous and holy God who wants what's best. You know what, what is right. And we so desperately need you, Lord. We're so thankful for, for those that are here, Lord, that, uh, that have sought that forgiveness and we have forgiveness through Christ, that we are free from sin, that we are able to hear these words and have a go at it knowing that we're not, our, our sins have been forgiven. We can have a go at what it means to give our life over to you completely holes bowls. And when we fail, Lord, uh, that failure doesn't mean it's over, but we can keep on trying. And Lord, as we do that, I pray, Lord, that you would help us through your Holy Spirit to continue to prompt us, to guide us, to change us. And I pray, Lord, for each one of us here that, Lord, we do get anxious. We do get worried. We're very easily, our eyes are taken off you and to things that we think 
uh, are more important to put our trust in. I pray, Lord, that um, you would help us in this. That as we have that worry and anxiety, those concerns, that you would help us, Lord, to always fix our eyes on you. You, mighty, powerful, all-knowing. That you, Lord, know us intimately. Help us, Lord, to recognise that you are the person we need to come to because you have made us. You know how we're wired and you can help us see that way forward. And so, Lord, this week, help us, as Psalm says, to meditate on the law of the Lord, that we would hear from you as we think through what it means to have you as number one in our life, that we should have no other gods before ourselves. For Jesus' sake, amen.